Well, this, um, this Thursday is Thanksgiving. It is one of those holidays of the year that we can fully embrace. I mean, I, I just think about um, the, the destruction of many of the holidays that the culture tries to destroy. Um, Christmas, you know, making it about Santa Claus and gifts rather than Jesus, right? The slogan, Jesus is the reason for the season, is because so many people take Jesus out. Um, or Easter, right? It becomes about bunnies and eggs. And uh, sadly, even many churches just kind of focus around eggs. And, and it's about the resurrection of Christ, like the core doctrine of Christianity, which ought not to be hid but proclaimed. But Thanksgiving, you really can't destroy that very much. Though some people do, right? You know what they call Thanksgiving nowadays, right? Turkey Day. Like, you can't even give thanks as a people? Like, that is, that is really quite incredible. And this holiday, this Thanksgiving, means many things to different people. Uh, to some, it means family and friends. To some, it does mean turkey, and it means football. Detroit Lions, Dallas Cowboys, and I don't know, there's some other team that plays always on Thanksgiving. I, I forget which team it is. Anyone know what team it is? It's like three teams now. Whatever. Football. Some, it means loneliness and depression. This time when all the people, families are getting together, they don't have families, it can be a, a very difficult time. But in, in all of these thoughts, right, one common theme at least permeates everything. That is the theme of, of giving thanks. And so this morning what I like to do is just focus our attention upon one passage of Scripture, which you can see there's Colossians 3.17. You can open your Bible there at Colossians 3.17. Um, and, and my hope is that I would... Stir your heart, stir your mind, prime the pump, if you will, to give a public testimony of thanks kind of when I'm done with my message and the kids come back would be a a great thing. Um, This one verse of Scripture deals with the giving of thanks. I just want to open it up and pull it in with a broader context of Colossians. So I want to read a verse, Colossians 3, verse 17. It just says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Short enough, we can read it twice. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. My first point is simply this, that we need to give thanks in all you do. It's the the clear command here. I I trust that one of the things you you saw about this verse, I read it, was how absolutely exhaustive it is. It begins by setting the scope of application that this principle set forth. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, that like about kind of covers it up. <laughs> like that's everything you do. That's everything that you say. There's really nothing out of our boundaries of what we ought to do. Whatever we do, you can't escape this. Here we live upon the earth. The gravitational pull, the earth is strong. You, need to, you know that you need to go 25,000 miles an hour away from the earth to get escape velocity in order to escape the earth. It's fast, seven miles a second. Some rockets can do it. It's amazing. But you cannot escape this verse. I don't care how fast you go. Whether you are eating your breakfast or driving to work or playing some enjoyable activity like golf or sewing your, your dresses on your sewing machine or sewing a sock or talking to a friend on a phone or texting somehow or surfing the internet or attending a church service. This is everything. 
whatever, going home, driving, listening to the radio, talking to your children, like whatever you do, you need to do it with thanks. That's what, what Paul says, look again at verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then here it is, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Thanksgiving is more than just a, a one-day holiday pronounced by the government. It is every day, all the time, and all the things that we need to do. And the Bible's full of expressions giving thanks over and over again. The, the writer of the psalm says something like this. I will give thanks to the Lord, Psalm 7, verse 17. Psalm 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. Psalm 52, verse 9, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 86, verse 12, I will give thanks to you with all my heart. Just a testimony, so many times the psalmist says, I will give thanks, I will give thanks, I will give thanks. And over again, and over and again, the writers of Scripture command the giving of thanks. Psalm 30, verse 4, give thanks to the Lord, O you, its holy ones. Or Psalm 107, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Or Psalm 118, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 136, verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. We read it today. Psalm 136, verse 3. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And we're told in Psalm 92, verse 1, that it is good to give thanks to the Lord. I don't think I need to work very hard to convince you of the necessity of being thankful. It's here in this verse. It's all over the the Psalms. But perhaps you've never realized how dominant it needs to be in your life. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And as a child of God, one of the things that ought to characterize you is this, is this uh, characteristic of eminently being a thankful person. And your thankfulness ought to be demonstrated in, in everything that you do. So are, are you a thankful person? Do you find yourself thanking God for the things that he's done in your life? For the things that he has given you? You find yourself thanking God for the things that others have done for you? For the role of others in your life? Do you express your thanks to others? You aren't a thankful person if you never express your thanks. If thanks doesn't come out of your mouth, you're not thankful. Because when genuinely you are, it will flow out of you. One of the characteristics of those who hate God is that they're unthankful. Romans chapter 1 speaks about how God has made his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature clear to everybody. And so that everybody in some sense knows God. And it says in Romans 1.21, For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Like One of the characteristics of of of, of unregenerate people, people don't believe in God. So they don't give thanks to him. Why do you think they change it to Turkey Day? Everything we've received is from the hand of God, ought to be received gladly and express thankfulness to God. A characteristic of those who love God is that they are thankful. I think about Paul. He, he sets forth an, an own example of his, this even in the book of Colossians. If you, if you look back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3, look at Paul's example. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, 
and of the love that you have for all the saints. Here Paul is expressing his own thankfulness to God for the salvation of those in Colossae. They believed in Christ, had expressed their faith in Christ, their love for all the saints, and Paul says, I I thank God for you. Now, it's interesting here in Colossae, he didn't even know these folks, but he heard of their faith, he heard of their love for the saints, and he thanked God for them. Now, there were lots of people he wrote to who he knew and loved, and almost every single one of his epistles, they all start the same thing, giving thanks. Whether it's Romans, or 1 Corinthians, or Philippians, or 1 and 2 Thessalonians, or Timothy, or Philemon, like they all start, he starts his epistle saying, Paul, an apostle, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, I thank my God always in all my remembrance of you. He's just a thankful person. And I just say, the heart of Paul is my heart as well. I constantly give thanks to God for all of you as well. So what I want to do is just give public thanks for all of you as well. I just... Going right around here. Derek, I'm super thankful for you. You are such a happy... I, I describe you, Derek, you don't know this. I describe you as one of the happiest men I've ever known. And you bring out the best in Hannah. You are. You, just, you, you elevate the joy in our room when you come in. So Anyway, I'm thankful for you. I spent a lot of time there. But I just want to go around the room and just say what I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the Ramazinas. They came from California and they just said, we're coming to Rock Valley Bible Church. And just kind of, I don't know how you decide, but you just come and faithful and plugged in like super ways. And Deborah, you've come to Cal- here to Illinois from California, so I'll sacrifice the weather and all like that to be a grandmother. I'm thankful for that. Iverson's longest standing members of Rock Valley Bible Church, along with Rich, okay? And the Miltons aren't, aren't here today. But you've just been faithful for many, 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 many years. It's been around, been a super encouragement to us. Uh, Molders, just appreciate you guys. Brian, appreciate your wisdom on the elder board. To this for you, the, the wisest guy on the elder board. Smiths, just love how you just kind of come in and began to serve. Audiovisual, trying to help with that. Just, you're just kind of plugging in, in in a gracious way. Thankful for that. I don't even know, I bet you folks today. Bob and Becky and Brianna. Welcome. And I'm thankful. Um, they just said, hey, how long have you been pastoring here? I said, 22 years. Oh, you bought a table from us, right? So we still have that table. Thank you for that table that we could buy from you for Facebook. <laughs> We're thankful for that table. So, And uh, Stokites, boy, what, what can I say about you guys? Jake, you've been a super encouragement since so you've come to Christ and grown. And Heather, just dealing with your um, breast cancer with grace. Just super encouragement to all of us. And Faith, I've known you a long time. You were at Kids Club. And I'm just glad to see you pursuing the faith. Um, Coming and joining us. I don't know where your mom is today. Not here. She's someplace. Is she here? No. She's out out in the other room. Okay, if you're in the other room, you miss. I can't give testimony to you. It's one of the repercussions about being out there. We got the Brooks. Super thankful you guys have decided to be here with um, with your daughter. And to move up here from Georgia, it's been a, a delight to my life. And Ellen, I love your sweet southern spirit. And uh, Robbie and Brooke, just uh, it's been great to know you guys kind of from afar and uh, that you've, uh, you've come. And Robbie, you've preached for us. We're very thankful for that. Thankful for how you're growing in Christ. Virginia, I, I'm thankful for how I experience you. If you know about Virginia, you don't know Virginia, you experience Virginia. And so just through the difficult life you've been You've been faithful to Christ. And the Helds, that's what you guys attended online for a year and a half before you ever came. 
And uh, I remember even um, there was some kind of check written to Rock Valley Bible Church. And I don't see that, but it was asked, like, who are the Helds? We have no idea who the Helds are. But you've come and just faithfully show. And I'm thankful for the, um, just the past connections, how you ministered to my nephews as a youth pastor. Uh, Vicki, I'm thankful for you. We've known each other a long time. You've gone through lots of hard things. And you've just been faithful and struggling. Illness now is difficult. And I don't even know you, Matthew, right? Great. And I don't know much about you, but I met with Ben this past week, who knows you as a childhood friend. Said you've come to Christ recently. Just super excited. And that's mom, is that right? Great. I met you guys just a couple weeks ago, but glad to have you. Thankful for you. Hope to get to know you better. And Florinda, our neighbor, just very thankful for you. And just even trying to pursue Christ amidst all your, your difficulties and trials. And in the, in the back, David, I got it, my son. Just thankful for how you're growing up to be a, a hardworking man. Just thankful, a sweet, sweet man. And we got the last out there. Uh, Adam, I knew you before you were a Christian. And just you've come to Christ and served here just faithfully, steadily. And you love the bears. I'm thankful for that as well. <laughs> And uh, the Currington's, um, just thankful for you. Have you decided to make a new life in Rockford? And have come, uh, even through COVID times, and your baby is due in December. Super excited. Thankful for your growing family. And Soderlings, I barely know you. I just know your last name. And you got, you're really tall, taller than I am. <clears throat> it's not saying much, by the way. <clears throat> and uh, got some kids, and just glad you've come to join us. Ishtavan, you've been a joy of my life. Your smile and coming to Christ here this past year and just your reading through the scriptures with us consistently. Um, Just very thankful for the joy you've given all of us. And Ulf, thankful for how we think alike. Uh, That is amazing. You've joined us in our Bible reading as well. We summarize the scriptures very much the same way. Just common computer lingo. And Armin and Amanda. Amanda, I'm thankful for your role a church administrator. And for Armin, just your faithfulness, steadiness to serve as a policeman. And Patton's. You guys were married, how long ago did we marry? We were married, how many years ago? 11. 11. Thank you that we have a bed and breakfast um, down in Louisville whenever we want. Um, you've been a, a delight to us. And for Gary and Nancy, thank you for the way you serve. Gary came to me years ago and says, hey, I want to mow the lawn so as to free up all the dads here at Rock Valley Bible Church. He was a, lot, a young family. So he just mows the lawn faithfully. Thank you for that. And your heart for missions, you guys were on the mission field. Thankful for that and serving on farms board. And the Soderstroms, just thank you for your sweet spirit. I don't know you well, but just got to begin to know you. But I think you guys have a sweet spirit. Thankful to God for that. And Paul and uh, Lisa Hebner, um, you know, don't, again, don't know you guys very well, but I, I appreciate your openness and honesty, and you're just real, vulnerable. And I appreciate that very much so. And uh, Adrian, good to see you. You had sur- heart surgery even this past week, and you're doing... You're doing well. I just thank you for the years you spent in Kids Club, serving with me, just faithful that, and you're just kind of plugging along. And uh, Betty, I just thank you, your joy through a difficult, difficult life. I, I am so thankful to God for what he's doing in your life with that. And Bonnie, uh, you have known Christ for, for years, and when you, your husband was failing, you're thinking about another church, you came here to be amongst a bunch of young people. And you've been a great encouragement. And I know that every week you're reading through the scriptures. My wife is super encouraged by your, uh, your growth and your um, just wisdom with the scriptures. It's great. And Rich, we've known each other a long time. You've been through some hard times too. Just thankful for your just gentle pressing on and pursuing on, clinging to Jesus. Browns, love your voracious uh, appetite for knowledge. Because you guys read more than anybody that I know. 
was very thankful for that. And your kids are energetic and fun. We loved having your kids over just this past Friday and just thankful for what God is doing in your life. And Weebies, thank you for your love for people. Just, I think, Darren, of, of all the elders, like, like you're, you're the most tender of all of us. As I'm preaching the word, sometimes tears are from your eyes. And Maggie, you care for people immensely. You're just wanting to pursue um, counseling. And Reitz, Dirk, I think you've been like the stellar example of one who doesn't minister with word, but indeed, like the way that you minister to people is amazing. And you've all been an encouragement to me. I'm thankful for God, for your faithfulness to our church for a long, long time. You just said, hey, I want to go to a place where we're needed, and we are needy, and you have helped us. And you've built this church in many ways for a long time. So that's Paul. That's thanks. And that's the way that we ought to thank people. And I just thought that might be appropriate even here as we are thinking about, about giving thanks. Well, we're told several places right here in Colossians about how to express our thanks. If you look back in chapter 3, verse 15, it speaks about in the body. We're called to be thankful. Colossians 3, 12 and following. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one another has a complaint against any other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. I mean, these are just dealing with how, how you deal with kindness, kindness and humility, patience, meekness, forgiveness. Love, verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, right? Peace in the body, to which indeed you are called in one body. Here it is, and be thankful. In the community of believers, we are called to be thankful. As we deal with others, just be thankful. Uh, We're to be thankful in our worship, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. One of the things that characterize a congregation is singing, singing all different types of hymns, songs, hymns, spiritual songs, whatever. But in our singing, in our worship, in our praise to God, we need to do it with thanks. Thanksgiving should be expressed in our prayers. Chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. When you pray, you should be thankful. And however you pray, whenever you pray, thankfulness ought to be just sprinkled in your prayers. It ought to be a, a demeanor and an attitude. You're coming to the God of gods, the Lord of lords. You need to be thankful to him. So whenever you pray, whether that's at meals or you lay your head on your pillow at night or whether in your devotional time in the morning, whether some time with your family and you're praying together, whether it's a church, you find yourself in a small group, whatever, wherever it is. In all your prayers, we should pray with thanksgiving. Thanks ought to saturate our, our lives, whether that's in the community of believers, whether that's in our worship, whether that's in our prayers. That's what Colossians 3 verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Give thanks in all you do. Uh, Secondly, give thanks in the name of Jesus. Again, you see that in verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think this means in the name of Jesus, right? In the power of Jesus, in consistent with Jesus, in the sphere of Jesus, everything around in Jesus. Be consistent with a life driven by Jesus. And, and I think that's what Paul's driving at when he says, do all in the name 
of the Lord Jesus, right? So we, as we are thankful, right, we're, we're thankful in the name of Christ Jesus. Christians live their lives based upon a person, not upon rules or regulations. We don't live by ideas and philosophies. We live our lives based on a, a person, Jesus. And, and if you know the book of Colossians, that is the book of Colossians, is Jesus. When Paul wrote Colossians, he's fully aware of the false teaching that was taking place in Colossae. Hodgepodge, different ideas were coming in. Gnosticism, Judaism, asceticism, Gnosticism that placed emphasis upon what you know. Judaism placed emphasis upon what you do. Asceticism placed emphasis upon what you don't do. And and all of these things, right, you can see them coming up in the book of, of Colossians. And in confronting every single one of these things, he says that truth is bound up not in these philosophies, but in a person. It's not what you experience or know that governs you. It's not what you do like Judaism that governs you. It's not what you don't do like asceticism that governs you. Fundamentally, it's about what Jesus, what you believe about Jesus and his power in your life. And so I just want to just spend some time in Colossians just showing how he combated each of these different heresies to combat the, the Gnostics who place importance on this knowledge of Jesus, Paul writes at the beginning of chapter 2, right? You look at it there. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face. He, he, he hasn't seen them, he doesn't know them, but he's struggling with them. He's praying for them. And his struggle isn't just for a few who are in the know. His struggle is for, for everyone. And, and he says in verse 2, he's struggling so that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right? There's not some special knowledge you need to have. We, we all need to understand and know Christ, that his wisdom might saturate us. It's not just select few that the Gnostics would hold who have attained to this super special knowledge or this secret knowledge. No, it's for all of us. To stay away from the Gnostics who say, oh, we got the special knowledge of God. Rather cling to a person, cling to Jesus. And it says in verse 8, don't be taken captive. Verse 8, see to it that no one take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Right? Don't be carried away by worldly philosophies. And what a, what a good word that is for us. How many worldly philosophies are there? How many empty deceits are there? How many human traditions are there? And Paul just says, no, it's Christ. Give thanks in the name of Jesus. And to combat the Judaistic heresy, he gave a similar argument. He, he's pointing the Colossians back to Jesus. The Judaizers place importance upon the law and what you do and how hard you follow it. Look at chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. This is stuff of the Old Testament. Dietary laws, which you eat and drink, feasts and festivals, like the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover, Yom Kippur. All these are like a shadow of what is to come. But shadow isn't the substance. It's, it's fleeting. It's temporary. It's, it's, it's like casting. As soon as the light dims, the shadow dims, flickers. It's two-dimensional Rather than Jesus, who is three-dimensional. 
He says that in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So in battling the Gnostics, he said, Jesus has knowledge for all of us. He is wisdom. In battling the, the, the Jews, he says, no, it's Jesus. It's not the rules and regulations. And then when battling the ascetics <clears throat> who, who said, don't do this, they live their lives in self-abasement, right, hurting themselves, he says the same thing. It's not the things you don't do that make you holy. It's Christ dying for you that makes you holy. Uh, look at verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why, as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Right? Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Referring to things that all perish as they are using according to human precepts and teachings. These have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's not cutting yourself. It's not depriving your stomach of food that makes you spiritual. It's not abstaining from all these things. It is, it is dying with Christ. It's setting your minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth that makes you spiritual. And so that in all you do, right, in your giving thanks, realize it's in the name of Jesus. It's the living Christ. And the ways we get this as a church exactly right. Not only our church, but many churches. I read an Australian Sunday school teacher who felt her approach to teaching needed a little bit of, of action. She thought she was becoming too predictable with the children, that they were becoming bored in her storytelling and questioning. And so she decided to take a, a new tact. And she said this <clears throat> one Sunday. Once the preliminaries were over, there were these five-year-olds, and she said this, Who can tell me what's gray and furry and lives in a eucalyptus tree? The children were like, surprised. Like, hmm. They thought there was some catch, and so they were quiet. And said, come on, come on, someone must know. What's gray and furry, lives in eucalyptus tree, has black leathery nose and beady eyes? Still no one answered. And, and um, she said, y- surely you know, right? He lives in, a, lives in a eucalyptus tree, eats eucalyptus leaves, has big beady, eye, beady eyes and furry ears, and no one. And eventually this little girl, like, raised her hand with some hesitation, and the teacher said, yes, Susie? And the child replied, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds a lot like a koala bear. (laughs) And if ever you're asked a question in in church, you just say Jesus, and you're probably right. Very correct. And and Jesus is so much of our topic conversation that that is correct. Jesus is the answer to every question. He's the answer to every difficulty. He's a solution to every problem for sure. That's what Paul was saying. It's not mysticism, it's Christ. It's not rules and regulations, Jewish laws, it's Jesus. It's not severe treatment of the body, it's Jesus. And we can get this wrong many times focusing on peripheral things like what we know or doctrines we teach or ministry methods or style of music or leadership structure, purity, culture. It's not those are bad. Those are, are, are very important. It's, but when they become the most important is when there's a problem there. Jesus is the main thing. Every other issue in the church should be governed by Jesus and that includes our thanksgiving in the name of Jesus. Okay, finally, through Jesus. Give thanks in all you do, in the name of Jesus, and through Jesus. And this is so important. It comes right here from Colossians 3, verse 17. And we finish this, this point, we'll have an opportunity for you to give a testimony of thanks. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Here it is, through him. Through him, that would be through Jesus. 
And that's how we get to the fathers through Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's our high priest, right? When we pray, he's the one that represents us before the God. Father, we get to God through Jesus. And really, there are two reasons why we get to the Father through Jesus. One is because of who Jesus is, and the second is what he did. First, who Jesus is, right? There's no better place in all the Bible to see who Jesus is than in Colossians. If you look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, it says this, Jesus is the invisible, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth and under the earth and visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. This passage places just all of creation in perspective. It speaks of the Creator, His role in creating, His purpose in creation, His role in sustaining creation. It moves to the church, speaks of the role of Christ in the church, His role of Jesus in redemption and glorification just want to think about these verses, right? Because we need to give thanks through Jesus. Let's understand who Jesus is. He's the image of the invisible God, verse 15. He wasn't made in the image of God as we are. He was the image of God. Yet he came into creation. He was the firstborn of all creation. It doesn't mean that Jesus was the first thing created, despite what the Jehovah's Witnesses might tell you. It's that everything in their created order, Jesus is the highest of anything that has been here in the earth. He's the firstborn. He's the one that gets the honor, like every firstborn does. And by the way, not everyone born first is a firstborn. Right? Ephraim Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh was born first, but Ephraim was the firstborn. And there are many like that. It's the one who gets preeminence. Verse 16 speaks about how everything was created by him. If you trace down the pronouns, Jesus is the creator. So next time you read Genesis 1-1, just slip in the little Jesus there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. It's totally theologically accurate. But it's not merely heaven and earth that he created. It's, it's all things, verse 16. By him, all things were created. That's why Jesus isn't the firstborn of creation. It's the first thing created because it was through him that all things were created. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The created world, even here, it's interesting, goes beyond heaven and earth, visible and invisible. There's this whole invisible realm that we don't even see that's been created by Jesus. We've seen this in Revelation. Revelation chapter 5 speaks about the myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands of angels. You count that all up, thousands of thousands is millions, and myriads of myriads is hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of angelic beings worshiping before the Lord. Like there's this whole other spiritual realm that Christ created. If you think the size of our creation is big, there's another realm that Jesus is creator of as well. And these angels all around the throne are worshiping Christ. Revelation 5.12, Worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Hope you get a sense of how big Jesus is. When we think about Jesus, we often think about him just walking upon the earth as a man. Now, certainly he was. He took on human flesh. That's what we're about to celebrate here in about a month or so with Christmas. But when the layers are peeled back, you see Jesus for who he is. You see he's the creator of the universe, worthy of all glory and honor and praise. 
And this is the sense of the last two words in Colossians 1.16. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator. We're the creator. He created with a purpose for himself. He was the carpenter who built his own house. He was the furniture maker who built his own chair. He was the artist who painted a canvas for his own house. He was the mechanic who put together his own car. We've been created for Jesus. That's why it's so disgraceful for creation to reject Jesus, to call it Turkey Day rather than Thanksgiving, like just refusing even to give thanks to God. Colossians 1 goes on to talk about who Jesus is. He's before all things. Verse 17, that means he just existed before time began. Verse 17, in him all things hold together. You ever thought about why our planet just doesn't drift apart or whatever, float away? It's because Jesus holds it all together. In him we live and move and have our being. And on top of that, not only he creates the whole world, but he focuses here now in verse 18 upon the church. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He rules not only over creation, he rules over also the church. Unless you think that Rock Valley Bible Church is just some other club, like Kiwanis Club or Rotary Club or Elks Club or Knitting Club or whatever, Soccer Club or Frisbee, Ultimate Frisbee Club or whatever you're involved in, right? Pool Club, whatever you're involved in. No, this isn't, we're, we're far different than that. We're in an organization that Jesus built. He was willing to die upon a cross and raise again for it, granting forgiveness to all those who believe and were gathered together as as forgiven sinners with the purpose that Christ might be all in all. Verse 18, that in everything he might be preeminent. He ought to be the, the chief honor of our lives, the chief thought of our thoughts, the best song that we sing, the greatest joy that we have. It all comes back to chapter 3 and verse 17, right? giving thanks to God the Father through him, that is, through Jesus, is all in all. We give thanks to God through Jesus because of who he is and what he did. Isn't Thanksgiving an interesting thing? It's always focused on the past. Thanksgiving is is a looking back sort of thing. Faith is a looking forward thing, but Thanksgiving is a looking in the past it's always directed towards some kind of kindness towards you or when you feel undeserved or when you've re- received something that you, you've really wanted. It's the case of the cross of Christ. What Jesus did on the cross some 2,000 years ago, something that happened in the past, expression of his kindness toward us, completely undeserved. So we live our lives, we see our failures more clearly, we see the cross of Christ more and more precious to us, and we really, really want it. But listen, whenever the cross of Christ becomes commonplace to you, you'll drift towards unthankfulness. We need to continually be amazed at what took place at the cross of Christ. I stand amazed at the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Right? It's amazing grace. We ought to just be amazed at the grace of God. And again, I just want to pull some verses from Colossians just demonstrate what he did. Chapter 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by counseling the record of deeds against us and its legal demands. He set aside Nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul paints a pretty grim picture of us in chapter 2, verse 13. You were dead in your trespasses, unresponsive to spiritual truth. We loved our sin. 
willfully indulged in the desires of the flesh. The good news comes, though, that though you were dead, God made you alive together with Him. It's a picture of salvation that the Bible gives us. We're dead and helpless, but God comes and He quickens our spirit and He makes us alive. And He does that by forgiving all our transgressions. One of the things He does, He forgives us all our transgressions. He abolished our sins. The sins we've committed wiped clean through his blood. So we believe and trust him. This is incredibly good news. And, and, and the generation, though, of giving thanks to God because of all that he's given to us in Christ. And if you could see clearly how great your offense of sin is against God and that he has forgiven it, no problem would be given to give thanks to God for all the done that, good that he has done in your life. He's abolished our sins. He abolished our debt. See, the law of God acts as an accuser. Every sin we ever commit is recorded in heaven. As we live, the accumulation of this debt just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. If you take the name of the Lord your God in vain, just little mark in heaven. If you lust after another man or woman, a little mark in heaven. If you deceive people, it's ever so slight, just a little mark in heaven. Just mark And tick, 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 tick. All these marks... Start, start coming up against us. They're the creeds that are hostile to us. And every time we violate them, this, this tick of this debt we owe to God, and truth be told, it's pretty monstrous. You have no hope of paying it back. It's larger than any debt, credit card debt you've ever had. But God, in His grace, through Christ Jesus, He, he wipes them away. He takes them down. He, he raises No longer do they accuse us. And how does He do that? He, on the cross, He nailed it to the cross. Look at verse 14. He forgave all our trespasses. Why? How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Remember when Jesus was on on the cross? He's hanging there and there's a sign above him. What did the sign say? Jesus, King of the Jews. That was why he was put to death, because he claimed to be the King of the Jews. Because he was the King of the Jews. And in those days, right, it might say thief. Adulterer, murderer, like, like right up there. Jesus was crucified for being king. Now picture this. It, it's beautiful. The, Jesus was put to death for being king of the Jews. God nailed another sign on top of the cross. It's a sign including and detailing all of our sins of all those who would believe in Jesus. Your sin and mine, it says here, is nailed to the cross and gone just like Jesus. He's not on the cross anymore. He's raised from the dead because Jesus was there suffering for our sins, and our sins are on that cross. It's nailed to the cross. They've been abolished. They've been taken out of the way. They have been removed. Now, I ask you, was this not an act of just incredible kindness? It deserves genuine expressions of thankfulness to God. You know, I've heard it said that when you consider your sin before God, it's not as bad as you think, it's far worse. And when you consider the forgiveness that we possess in Christ, it's not as good as you think. It's far better. And may that stir us here this Thanksgiving week to be thankful people. You'll have an opportunity here in just a few moments to give public thanks to God. Remember, ABCs, right? Audible, so all can share. Brief, um, so all can hear. Brief, so that all can share. And Christ-centered, so that we might obey Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Let's pray. And then uh, the band music team will come up here. They'll lead us in a little bit of song. And then we'll have a mic go around to give testimonies of thanks. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that one thing that would characterize Rock Valley Bible Church would be um, 
thankfulness. God, that we would be a, a thankful people. Um, God, amidst a world that doesn't give thanks to you. I pray we'd have opportunities this week. Maybe we're in the store. Give opportunities even to speak a thanks to God for Jesus Christ. Being thankful not just to people and how they serve us, but being thankful to you. May we also, God, just in the depth of our souls, realize the, the thanks that we ought to have unto you. God, for being such a, a gracious and good God who, who died for our sins that we might live for you. So God, stir us in these things to even a time of thanksgiving before we depart today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.